Welcome to the Unhustle Podcast. In this podcast, we stand up to hustle culture, business, overwhelm, stress, always on mentality, and life in the fast lane. I'm Milena Rigos, and I'm your host today. We believe in challenging hustle culture and status quo. We believe in a new way of living. With this podcast, we hope to help you make a change, find the courage, shift your perspective, and transform your life. We have conversations with top leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, and people who have made a change in their life. It's our goal to inspire you, motivate you, and challenge you to unhustle, claim back your time, get clear on your priorities, connect with your heart, focus on you, and live a happier, healthier, more balanced, and more fulfilling life. Thank you for joining us. Now listen to today's show. Today on the Unhustle podcast, I interviewed Carlos Hidalgo, a 25-year business veteran who has held corporate roles and started his own entrepreneurial ventures, as well as served in two nonprofits. By experiencing the sacrifices of hustle culture, Carlos redesigned his life and he wrote The Un-American Dream, a book which I thought and read right after this interview. I'm super excited to have this conversation with Carlos. Here's Carlos. All right. Hi, Carlos. We are live on the Unhustle podcast. Thank you so much for coming and uh, spending some time with me today. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It is an absolute uh, pleasure to speak to somebody who is so like-minded. Same, same exact feelings on my side. So we were just chatting up a little bit before the podcast about this addiction that we have going on, especially mm-hmm. in Western society. And it is an addiction. And the addiction is uh, workaholism and <laughs> um, working too many hours and getting defined by, uh, by our work and by our success in work. And um, I want to take you back to your uh, aha moment in this case, considering you're very, very successful um, and hardworking and still very hardworking individual. But how, what was the, um, the pivot uh, moment for you when you realized that you had to do something to change your life? Yeah, the pivot for me was a um, discussion with my wife about divorce. And never in a million years. Yeah, never (laughs) in a million years. Um, And there was just a multitude of things that had led up to that. But for a number of years, she kept saying to me, you know, we need you home. Your kids need you home. At that point, my kids were uh, anywhere from, uh, you know, late grade school, fifth, sixth grade to to teenagers and in high school. Um, And even when I was here, I just wasn't present. I wasn't available. And so it was that moment also coupled with a couple of things where my kids were kind of like, you know, you're just, you don't even know what's going on here. And um, when it came down to us separating, um, we separated for nine months to kind of work on ourselves. Uh, The good news is we're back together and better than ever. We talk about being in our second marriage with the same but two very different people. Um, That's when I thought, wait a minute, what? what is going on? Why is that? This is what I worked so hard for. This is what I gave everything. This was all my blood, sweat and tears for this. And I realized how unfulfilled I was, how 
tired I was, how narcissistic I had became, uh, become uh, in this process. And then I had lost my family. And at that point, I thought, this is not at all the American dream that I had so desperately wanted. And that was my wake-up call. Wow. And that resonates with so many people on so many different levels. I mean, you know, I... I had a very similar experience myself. You know, I was working 16 hour days, sleeping with my iPhone, never being present with my husband. Mm-hmm. We never really got to that point of having divorce conversations, but I uh, knew very well that we would be heading that way unless I yeah. did something. In, uh, with myself, it, it showed more in my health and my overall happiness. And I definitely lost a lot of my friends because after calling me so many times and I always say, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. They eventually right. calling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, at that point, they're like, okay, I can't keep trying. This is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So so tell me, you wrote the um, the American uh, Dream book, yes. which um, is basically a description of your own personal experience. And uh, what made you decide to write it? Yeah, so in uh, in 2016, I really spent 2000 a good portion of 2016 saying, how can I re-engineer my life to stay with the agency that I had co-founded in 2005? At that point, we were growing. Um, you know, from all outside appearances, we everything, including myself, was wildly successful. Um, and then in, at the end of 2016. I made the decision of I have to totally hit the reset button on my life. Um, I, I didn't do it for anybody else but me because at that point my wife and I were still separated and I didn't know that we were going to get back together, but I knew I had to make a, a change. So I let my business partnership know in 2016 I was going to leave that agency after leading it for almost 12 years. Um, and then in 2017, I put a post about leaving um, to our industry, which is B2B marketing. And just really talked about how I had spent far too much time cultivating the business and growth and profit and everything else at the neglect of my family. So I tried to be real authentic. And then what surprised me was, I mean, it was, it was great. People were very kind online and supportive. But what surprised me were the calls and the texts and the emails I got after that from colleagues who were saying, how did you do this? Because I'm in the same boat. I'm miserable. I'm never seeing my kids. My wife and I, we've become roommates. Um, Lead me through this. And I I, I didn't have some magic answer, but what it did um, is it told me that, oh my word, this wasn't just my story. This is the story of so many. And I just felt compelled to write about it. And I literally, the reason I called it the Un-American Dream, I've been asked by people if it's a political book. It's in no way a political book, but it goes back to uh, Truslow Adams, who coined the phrase in 1931. And it's what we're doing today and what I did for so many years is the absolute antithesis of the American dream. I couldn't agree with you more. And as a first-generation immigrant from Bulgaria, I Mm -hmm. came to this country to pursue the American dream. Mm -hmm. And then many years later, I realized that that American dream is not what exactly I want to um, 
it wasn't making me that that pursuit of of the materialism or the uh, success definition by work is not a hundred percent what the American dream is all about. That's correct. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely and and if you go back to the original meeting, that that to your point, the materialism is. He actually states it's not it's not gauged by the number of motor cars, right? So back in '31, that's what they talked about. But um, it's really having that opportunity and things. And if you read read about it now, it's money and wealth and what kind of car do you drive, what kind of job, and we we tend to and I write about it in the book. We tend to draw our worthiness and identification from the profession that we do. And that is a horrible place to try to find worthiness and your purpose. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So, but you, um, you, by hitting the reset button, you had to make some, some drastic changes in your life. So let's say, you know, you not say, but we actually left the agency. Um, mm-hmm. you, you left an industry that you were very highly successful in and had a huge network. And so then what, because people with the same, um, challenges that that you and I went through are basically saying, okay, but you've already achieved financial success. So it's easy to say enough is enough and pivot your life and focus more on your well-being. But um, what um, what evolved in your life after pivoting and and resetting? Well, I I can first say that I didn't have some big financial windfall to just coast on for the rest of my life. I'm not even 50 years old yet. So um, when I decided to leave the agency, it was a huge risk. I had no uh, big buyout. I had no life savings. Um, I, I literally pulled the plug. So um, so for anybody who's listening, who's going, okay, well, he was financially secure. That's not the case. And at the time, I had three kids in college. So um, if you've ever paid tuitions or done any of that, <laughs> you, you know that burden. But again, it was one of those things where I needed to save my own life. It was that dire. And um, so I had to, I, you're right, I did have to make some big changes. So I did leave. I didn't know what was next. Um, at that point in talking to my wife, you know, we were, we were separated but, but not divorced. And her response was, well, the worst thing that happens is we sell the house. And she was serious. Um, and not that we have some palatial estate here in Colorado. But um, with that kind of backing, I was like, okay, let's do it. And then I took some time to really figure out what, what was next. And I started a second consultancy, uh, much different, no big plans for growth. My wife is my business partner. Uh, we work with a lot of different companies. Um, but in a, just a different way. And our, our, our first focus is what is the life we want to live? How do we establish that life? How do we establish those boundaries so that we can live that life and give our best selves to each other and our best selves to our kids and our best selves to our work? And so uh, we are here now almost four years later. Um, well, I get, yeah, in February, it will be three years, I'm sorry, three years later. And we're thriving, and we've put purpose before profit, and having the time of our lives. Basically, you uh, had to really, really get grounded in your values and yes. your wife's values, and build the life that you want to live, grounded in these values. 
You're so, you just nailed it is, and I actually have a chapter about, are you living your values? And I would have told you at one point, uh, these are all the things I value. And I talk about the lies we tell ourselves. Um, I would have told you I valued my family, but the reality was I wasn't giving my family the attention, the presence, even my authenticity. Um, I would have told you all these things, but I wasn't living that way. So I literally had to deconstruct this facade, this fantasy of the big shot business owner and all the uh, false adulation that I took to build up my worthiness and identity and deconstruct all of that to say, who am I at my core? And now that I know that and embrace that, I can now move forward. And while I'm proud of the work we do, I'm proud of the book, I'm proud of the business that we have here at Vision CX, I don't find my worth and identity there. I, I find it in other places. And then I, I'm able to now take that purpose, what I write about that one note, which was coined by Kelly Flanagan, also a fellow author, and now apply that in my work versus trying to do the opposite. Very interesting. And I told you, I did not have a chance to read your book. I'm very much looking forward to it. So I can't draw um, any conclusions from any one of your chapters just yet, but I just <laughs> wanted to connect with you and have that, that conversation because I am very um, intrigued to align with people who are of the same philosophy and of the same thinking as, as my um, sure. company with Hustle, which my husband and I found it and so tell me more who is who is the un-american uh, uh dream uh for who is your who are you talking to with the book yeah i think we are talking to anybody who is in a profession where they are tired they are exhausted they're at the point of burnt out burnout uh, their relationship is taking a hit because of the amount of work that they're doing or their partner is doing um, and or even managers who say, hey, we've got to allow people to have the best personal life and a really strong professional life. So really written for business professionals. I also believe it's written for those partners of those professionals or those workaholics or even people who are moving down that path to workaholism. My wife has a chapter right in the middle of the book that talks about what is it like on the other side of a workaholic? And I felt it was so important to share her part of the story. And she talks about, she actually starts the, the chapter with, in a word, it was lonely. Um, it, it was a hard chapter to read for me mm. to, to, to know that, to know that, you know, she was lonely. She wanted, she wanted what she married. She didn't care what I had done professionally. She was proud of it. But she wasn't necessarily like, okay, I'm in love with this professional guy. And so I think if you're listening to this and your partner is that workaholic, I would encourage you to, to read it and go right to chapter six and read her chapter. And I've, I've been so fortunate and I feel so incredibly blessed to have had people tell us, you know, my wife or my, my partner handed me that chapter and said, this, this is what I've been trying to tell you. And so it's written for all those people. Wow, very powerful. And uh, as, as you and I just discussed right before the podcast uh, with, uh, with regards to the article in Fortune magazine that two-thirds of, of working professionals are on the brink of burnout, there are a lot of people that could actually benefit from 
reading this book? Yeah, I, 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 as again, I've been fortunate that it's had um, had an impact. That's why we wrote it. You know, as as we continued to write it, we kept saying, even if it only helps one person, then it was worth the time and the effort. But I do think we, as a society, um, you know, as you just stated, the majority are struggling with burnout. And when you think about almost 10 million people in the United States will work more than 10 million hours. And then a new report out today that was highlighted on CNBC um, are talking about that the, the number of vacation days that are going to be forfeited this year is at a record high. What I mean, at that point, you got to say, what, what's going on? What, yeah, are, what we are we doing to ourselves? What are we doing, people? <laughs> right. I mean, at, 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 its, at the end of the day, when we're all at the end of our lives, nobody's going to go, damn it, I wish I worked harder, or I wish I worked more, <laughs> right? Or I remember that big deal that I closed. No, we're going to cling to family, friends, and relationships. And that's how what we're wired for. We are wired for meaningful, intimate relationship. We are not wired to sit at a desk for 60 hours a week. So Carlos, what do we do about this? I mean, I know there are entrepreneurs and leaders out there who are uh, promoting hustle and hustle porn. Um, and millennials are on Instagram seeing Instagram hashtags like rise and grind and uh, thank God it's Monday and hustle harder and sleep is for losers. So how do we as a society start to change this perception of um, hustling for the sake of hustling um, and hustling defining our lives? What, what are your like, top five, let's say, takeaways? Yeah, I, I think the number one takeaway is really discovering who you are as an individual. What makes you, what is your identity? Because your identity is not work. Your identity is not your job title. Your identity is not your stress. Um, so I had to spend some time and I, I still spend at least one, one hour a month with my therapist. Um, I think that we have exchanged our value and our identity for things that are so fleeting, like a job title. So really understanding who are you, who are you and what's your purpose, what's your one note. And again, I talk about that. Number one, I think number two, executives and the folks that you just talked about, Gary V, Grant Cardone, um, Damon John, uh, these guys, it's got to stop. It's not sustainable. I don't know what their relationships are, and I'm not going to uh, conject on that. I think they're all talented men, um, but this has got to stop. It's poison. It's a fantasy. Um, it, again, it's not sustainable. And when two-thirds of the working Americans say they, they're struggling with burnout, we're at, we're at crisis levels. Um, Number three, I think if you're a leader, if you're a manager, you need to start creating a culture that allows and enables and empowers your people to turn off work when they get home. I don't care if they're a single individual. I, I talked, bumped into a guy this week. Uh, he's engaged to be married. And he said, I work, I go home, I cook dinner, and then I pass out because I'm so tired. And that's guy's probably true for uh, two thirds of Americans. Right. The guy's 29 years old. What kind of life is that? And so I think if you're a leader, if you're an executive, if you manage people, you owe it to your people. It is your duty 
to create a culture where, yes, people can give the best of themselves to their jobs, but also the way they're going to do that is when you allow them the time and the, the, uh, the space to give the best of themselves to their relationships. And then fourthly, I think it's just a choice. We have to make a choice. So I run my own business. If I leave, it's not like there's somebody else to call. My wife and I went to Crested Butte, Colorado this weekend. We left here right before noon on Friday. I put an out-of-office message on my email that said, I will not be checking email. I turned the email off on my phone. I even went to my social media handles and said, hey, I'm taking off till you know Monday. I'll be back starting now. I didn't log into social media. We didn't use our phones other than take some pictures. And guess what happened when I got back on Monday morning? Nothing. The world was still spinning on its axis, right? <laughs> there was a whole bunch of email to return, which is fine. But when I start, I tell every client, every partner, every vendor, here's my boundary. I don't work past six o'clock at night. I don't work on the weekends. And in the summer, I take Fridays off. I have never yet had a company say, well, we don't want to work with you. They all admire it. And so I think we need to just as individuals start making choices and going, here's what I'm willing to do and not willing to do. Stop feeling guilt about taking vacation. Stop worrying about what your manager is going to think of you. You need to do it for you. And we have to start to adopt that and take that same energy we've put into the hustle and take that same energy and put it into self-care and self-healing and self-health. And, and, the, and these are excellent points. The only one thing I, I see people struggling with a lot is when you're an entrepreneur and you're a founder and you're a leader and you're trying to get that company to the next business level, you can tell your people not to check uh, emails and work after work hours. But unless you start showing that you're doing it as well, it's not going to resonate that. Uh, yeah, I was guilty as charged. I used to do the very same thing. I would tell my folks, take the time off, you know, do this. And then I, for 2016 was the first time I didn't take my laptop on vacation. And the biggest excuse I hear is, yeah, but you don't understand. I love what I do. Yeah, so do I. So here's the thing. You, and then it's like, well, if I don't do this, I'm not going to grow. Well, grow by when? How much is enough? So maybe rather than saying, I want to double in size over the next year, maybe you owe it to your people and owe it to yourself and owe it to your uh, partner and your children to say, I'm going to grow in size over the next two years. And maybe you're going to have slower growth, but you're going to have a more fulfilling life. And so I think this pace we are on in these self-dictated timelines would it would it make any difference in my old agency if we had made one Inc. 5000 versus two or three? No, it wouldn't. And if I had to do it over again, I would do it much differently. And I will tell you now, I'm at the pinnacle of my career in all aspects, and I actually work less, but I work better, and I work smarter. I love it. So give me some ways that you're actually able to achieve working less and working smarter that people can actually implement in their days. What do you do? Sure. I'm going to give you two things. Uh, number one is the staff 
establish work, what I call work-life boundaries because I don't believe work-life balance exists, especially when 70% of Americans say they don't have it. So what you do is you start by saying, how do, what do I value the most? So I'm going to share some of mine. I value time with my wife and time with my, my kids, and I only have one left at home. Um, so that's becoming more and more infrequent just because they, they're all going to live their own lives. But I value time with my wife. So one of the boundaries I have is I will not start work before 8 a.m. If I do, my wife and I talk about it. But I start every day at our kitchen table having a cup of coffee with my wife. That's how I start every single day if I'm not traveling. If I am traveling, we find a way to make up for it. I don't work past 6 o'clock at night, which means I don't have my phone next to me on the couch checking email. I just don't work because I value that time. Now, at the same time, I value the work I do for my clients. So there are times during the day where I am completely blocked off and I am focused 100% on my work and it allows me that space to have no other distractions. I'm not calling friends or family or checking my social media accounts or, you know, looking at, at you know, news sites. I'm working and I'm working hard. I also value my personal health. So I have times each day where I go to the gym or I go for a run. I, I eat well. And when I'm at the gym, I don't have my phone with me because that's my workout time. So I've established those boundaries and you can do that and you can do it and take it to your boss and say, how can you help me implement that? That's number one. Number two, all of us are wired uh, uh, in our brains with what is are called ultradian rhythms. It's like ultra radian rhythms. We have them when we're awake, we're having them when we're asleep. And what it means when we're awake means that our brains can only sustain at a at a top rate or a rate of say excellence, 90 to 120 minutes of mental exertion and work. So what I do, I work in sprints. So when I start my work day at 8 a.m., I work from about 8 to 9.30 or 8 to 10. And then I take a 20-minute break. And that 20-minute break allows my brain to refresh and flush out all the mental debris it just took in. And then I start up again at about 10.20, 10.30 ish, and I work for about another 100, you know, 90 to 120 minutes. And I will tell you my, my clarity of thought, my creativity, my problem solving, the things that I'm able to accomplish in those three to four sprints each and every day is far beyond anything I ever did when I would work 12, 14 hours a day. <laughs> And you can do I, it. I have to laugh because I was the exact same way. And now I work the exact same way as you're describing it. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's working for us. And I do believe it can work for other people as well. But Well, and it, it's funny. I, I was at a conference in October and I talked about this from the stage. And uh, one of my colleagues came up after. She's like, okay, walk me through this again. And she said, I'm going to start doing this. And about two weeks after... She tweeted and said, or I think she put on LinkedIn something about it. And she was like, oh, my word, I can't believe how much I'm getting done. I can't believe, you know, that afternoon whole, um, you know, like exhaustion. Or, oh, my God, I need a cup of coffee. No, you don't need a cup of coffee. You are raring. You're ready to go. It is 4.30 p.m. right now here in Colorado. My energy level is the same as it was at 8.30 this morning. I've had no dip. And I've had no extra cups of coffee. Exactly. And I'm the same way. I did take an hour and a half and I, I went outside with my dog and I told Good. you I went to this beautiful, you know, little hill up overlooking um, 
Lake Tahoe and just got some fresh air, got some sunshine and, you know, I'm back. And this was my exercise for the day and my time with her. And yeah, there was no phone. So what you're describing is basically working in a state of flow. Um, yes. Which is, um, you know, being in the zone, which is what top athletes, performance, creative people get into. And, uh, and there is actually a way to train for that, for, for, for mm-hmm. being in the state of flow. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that is so critical for being able to, to get more done in less time and then go out and play and spend time with the family. Yeah. And I think we're cultivating that again, the, the play, the time with the family, that's what we're wired for as human beings. Um, and it allows you to do better work. That's what's so exciting about it. You know, I sit down to write now. I don't have writer's block anymore. (laughs) So are you writing a a new book or what are you writing on? What are you working on? Uh, Yeah, if I write a second, if I write a third book right now, it would be why the heck am I writing a third book? Um, (laughs) I'm still having fun with this one. You know, I'm working on a multiple different things and that's, that's another part of the creativity. Um, I'm still running the consultancy. We work with companies on all things B2B marketing, customer experience. Um, I'm still speaking about the book and doing a lot of events like this, like we're doing here. I'm speaking tomorrow in San Francisco um, at a marketing conference and working on how do we bring bring this out to a larger audience. I'm doing a lot of growth advisory uh, consulting with executives and startups and, and even work with people of how do you establish work-life boundaries and how do you and your partner uh, move into this. And then I'm also uh, on the board of a startup company in Boulder, Colorado, a tech startup. And then I'm a part owner of a pre-product uh, healthcare application that we're hoping to launch in the first half of 2020. So I got my fingers in a lot of different things, but my primary focus is staying and living within my boundaries. And I think that's so key to point out that you're not just, you didn't just retire, you know, you're heavily involved in a lot of different things in in your writing and you're running um, a few businesses um, and advisories and you can do it um, in reasonable amount of hours on a weekly basis. How many hours would you say you work on on each week? Oh, I would say between 30 and 40, probably closer to 35 um, I know I don't work more than 40 and, uh, just cause I don't think that's sustainable long-term and people might on the podcast go, this guy's nuts. Um, I used to believe the same thing. I used to believe that was nuts, but again, I get more done and I'm more creative and my, I'm quicker to address issues in a very cognitive way. Um, even my writing is better. So everything's improved. And so I don't have to spend as much time trying to get stuff done because I'm fresh every time I sit down to do my work. So I, uh, I went to a human potential coaching institute program where, where I got certified in and we did months of training into basically what's called like presence-based coaching, um, mm-hmm. you know, embodiment practices, meditation mindfulness um you know being able to tap into the intelligence of your body being able to tap into intuition which has been super helpful for me to be able to you know um, tap into that creativity and solution um yeah solution solving what um, have you done anything like that uh, from your personal development standpoint that allows you to you know be able to stick to your values and, and to your boundaries um do you have any practices that you do on a daily basis uh, yeah, on a daily basis, I take time to meditate. 
Um, it's not real long. You know, I know people who, oh, I meditate two hours a day. I'm like, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> How um, long do you meditate? Um, you know, it's several times during the day and it's anywhere from a couple of minutes to about 10 minutes. Um, mm -hmm. I, I take time to think, which isn't the meditation, but literally there are times if you walked by my office, you would just see me staring out my window and you would think I'm completely disconnected, but it's just time to think. Um, that I take is time. so important. Oh, it's, it, it's so, so important, important because I'm not thinking in front of a screen. Um, I take time to read each day, even if it's just a couple of pages of a book. Um, to help my, my business. As I mentioned, I uh, still engage and I think many people would benefit from doing the same with my therapist on a, on a monthly basis. And we talk at, at length. I think there's so much value in having somebody who is completely objective, give you a different perspective. And then on a weekly basis, I still do neurofeedback um, and neuropathway development because our brains have uh, plasticity where we can carve new pathways. And that is a weekly practice that I've been doing for the last year and the benefits have been through the roof and I can't recommend it enough. And then in terms of just living by my boundaries, I've invited people and I, I encourage people to do it in community. And the biggest part of that community is my wife who has full... Um, Permission sounds like, oh, we have this hierarchical uh, relationship, but I've asked, hey, if you see me straying or moving off these boundaries, call me on it. And lo and behold, about a month and a half ago, she did. And I'm glad for that uh, because that's what I've asked for. And I've got some other friends who do the same. I was just talking with one the other day. He said, man, you're traveling all the time. How are your boundaries? I said, great question. I said, out, you know, out of these trips, 50% Suzanne was with me, my wife. Um, and then the other times, you know, I had to go overseas. We took that Friday before off. I took the Friday I got home off. So we're making those trades, but I didn't commit to any of those unless we talked about it. So having that community around you is, is crucial. And I completely agree with that. And also having the awareness and it sounds like you, you do have it. Um, and you yeah. and, ha and having the feedback from, from your friend, from your therapist, from your wife is great, but also just your own personal awareness, because I, I know it with myself, if I start, um, I call it cycling. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If I start cycling, I just get out and, and get out of the office. And sometimes, you know, I just take a day off or, or take half a day off and just give myself a, some time to, you know, go out in the mountains and connect with nature and, uh, and just maybe do some self-care, maybe just go shopping. But mm -hmm. these are times that, you know, it's you're staring out the window and, you know, like refocusing and re-strategizing and reprioritizing. And then you come back to the office and it's all much more clear than it was when you left. It is. And, and even, you know, the other night I woke up, I don't know, it was 3 a.m. And typically, you know, years ago, I would have instantly just been, had my brain turn on and eventually gotten out of bed at about four and started working. And I went and I was just I was like, okay, you know, there's a lot of stuff. I can't do anything about it right now. It's 3 a.m. And I fell back asleep, no problem. And so I think when, you know, having the ability to turn your brain off, make sure you're done, that, that's all part of that boundary of when am I going to work? I'm gonna, I, I know the hours I'm going to work. Um, everybody close to me knows those hours, but they also know when I'm unavailable. And it's powerful. And when you make those things known and then you start to see how people respect that, then you go, how come I didn't do this sooner? <laughs> but, uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty.
Absolutely. So uh, part of my um, um, bulletproof uh, coaching certification, you know, it was a bulletproof institute uh, program. So there was definitely some uh, neurofeedback mm-hmm. training in there. So what do you? I, I'm intrigued. Uh, what do you? Uh, what do you use for that? Um, I use a third party. Uh, she is amazing. She's here in, in Colorado Springs. And I just drive down to her office and we spend about an, an hour each day. Some of the exercises are with my eyes closed. Some are with the eyes open. Uh, a lot of focal, uh, you know, um, sometimes it's really focusing in on a specific t- uh, subject on a screen. Sometimes it's eyes closed and uh, other times it's more focal dissonance. And really depends on what she wants to work on and, and what the uh, what all the reporting that she's getting on her screen is telling her that I need to work on. But it has been um, it has been fantastic, and that's part of you know what I talk about is we need to dispel this idea or still the stigma that is attached to so much of our mental health because I think that is as important, if not more important, than our physical health. Yep, exactly. And we spend a lot of time in the gyms and not too much time on our minds. That's exactly right. And so I will say, you know, it was, I was 46 years old before I, actually, that's not true, 44 years old before I really started to focus in on my emotional and mental health. And so when I talk about being holistically healthy, which I think is vitally important, I talk about our emotional physical, mental, spiritual, and relational health. And I think if you can focus in on those five things and really, you know, again, you're going to need some outside help most likely, or at least be vulnerable with someone to walk through that with you. You want to talk about living a fulfilling life. I mean, get ready because it's going to happen. Yeah, and I saw that with the Human Potential uh, Coaching Program that I participated in, like you said, I mean, having somebody, just having that objective conversation with somebody who's there to to listen to you and ask you some powerful questions and repeat back to you what you're saying is yeah. so important sometimes. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, when you start to see the changes, you almost get, you get kind of excited. And then your problem is I don't have enough time to keep going back all, you know, I can't go every day. It's got to be every week. But then again, and it's, for me, it's really been a journey and it's, it's something that I will never give up because I've, I've seen the other side. I lived the other side. I saw the destruction that it caused in me personally and in my family. And now that I'm living this life, it's to your point, it's, it's like going to the gym. Well, make the time to go and take care of your whole self. Physical is only part of that. And it's so for me, that part was really, really hard because as, as a type A entrepreneur, you know, we, we, we go, 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 and, and we push our limits. And we do the same thing in the gym. You know, you go and you crush it and you run on the treadmill or you run a marathon. It was really hard for me mm-hmm. to realize that actual slow movement or taking time to go in nature, or doing a little bit of Qigong or yoga is actually more beneficial to me from a mind-body connection, and even from a um, athletic performance uh-huh. than going and lifting weights or, or running every day. Just for me, that was a really hard shift to do because um, I feel like, you know, you, we like the adrenaline rush and mm-hmm. we're wired for it, especially like entrepreneurs, business executives, you know, 
and it's so important to have that that pause and that slowness and that um, time for just um, a little bit of a slower movement in our lives. It, it is. And what's interesting is if you want to draw the correlation to a uh, time in the gym. <clears throat> so each weekend I do uh, classes at our gym. And one of them on Sunday morning is a, a full body barbell class. And, you know, when you think barbell, you think big weights. And um, there are times when in each hand, all I have is two 10 pound plates and we're doing shoulder exercises. And by the end of that four or five minutes of just working shoulders with 10 pound plates, you're shaking. You, you don't think you can get another one over your head. And you're thinking, really, it's only 10 pounds. Well, what's happened is during the other parts of the week, I do go back into the gym and do heavier weights. And my strength gain over the last year has been incredible. And I'm not some Herculean Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> but, but my strength gain, I mean, we're talking like 25, 30, in some places, 40 pounds increase on, on days that I lift heavy weights. And so now take that same concept and bring it to our mental and emotional health is sometimes it's, and I think that's when we think about these changes, you go, Oh my God, you know, Carlos made these sweeping changes. No, for 10 months, I tried to make, I've made small changes, which allowed me to get to the point of the big change of leaving the agency. If you had said to me in early 2016, you need to leave the agency. I would have, I would have been paralyzed but I made some different changes. I said, these are some little things that I'm not going to do anymore. I'm not going to, and it started with, I'm not going to work on Sunday mornings. Um, didn't say Saturday, didn't say Sunday. I'm just not gonna work on Sunday mornings. We can give that time to me. So if you're sitting here going, this is a great story, blah, 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 but oh, I can't make these sweeping changes. I didn't start my class and after day one, go into the gym and increase my, my strength weight by 25 pounds. Uh, I was in those classes for a number of weeks, dare I say, probably a couple of months before I could even add more weight in the gym. And same with our mental and emotional health. Sometimes it may just be what you just described. I'm going to leave my desk for 15 minutes. I'm going to go take a walk around the building. And then I'm going to get back to work. That's a change that everybody can make. Nobody should be that busy. Or I'm going to put my phone down at each night at 7 o'clock at night. And I'm just going to veg. I might stream something. I might read a book. I might play a game. I might just stare at the wall, but I'm going to go without my phone for 30 minutes at seven o'clock at night. What's holding you back? Take a, take a small step. And then the big changes can happen. So important, Carl, Carlos. I mean, that is just incredible. Taking the small steps <laughs> lead to bigger changes. And it's yes. so, so important. But also sitting, sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking there's only one thing that comes to my mind when you were describing putting the phone away at seven o'clock at night or not working on a Sunday morning. And that one thing is that these are actually the moments that I come up with the best ideas. And I, and not intentionally, not because I'm sitting there trying to think about work, but, but because when you open up that space in your head and in your body um, for new things to, to come in, um, you get in touch with, with a much, much um, bigger things in your life. And when we're busy, busy, busy and heads buried in our screens, 
you can't look at the big picture. So allowing yourself to take the small steps would actually incrementally improve everything that you're doing. A hundred percent. And what I do in those moments, because I have that too, I'll be on a hike or I'll be, you know, in, in yeah, I, I, last, last year I was on a, on a chairlift <laughs> at, uh, at Copper Mountain. And when I have those moments, I go, oh my word, I'm going to forget this. So what I do is I, I either write it down somewhere or I just send myself an email on my phone with the subject line of the idea. It's there. It'll be there the next day or the next hour or, the, or Monday, but then I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to stress about it. I don't have to spend time trying to figure out how am I going to make that work. It's done, and then I can get back to what I was doing. Or I will, uh, if I I'll, most of the time now on the weekends, if I'm if I'm out skiing or hiking with my wife, I'll go, "Hey, I just had this idea. Remind me of this on Monday." And she's like, "Great." And sometimes she'll pull out, pull out her phone, write a quick note. It's done. So, and that's the other thing I hear, but that's when I get my best ideas. So what do I do with that? Record it and then just go on with having your, your downtime because yeah. we all need that. None of us are machines. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's been, uh, it's been excellent to speak with you, Carlos. Um, where can uh, people find out uh, more about what you do and um, how can they get a hold of the Un-American Dream book? Yeah, The Un-American Dream is available on Amazon. So just go to Amazon, type in The Un-American Dream. Um, you can also go to theunamericandream.com, and there you will find a little bit of my story. You can download the introduction for free. We don't even ask for your name. You can join our mailing list, and you'll see a whole bunch of articles and videos uh, that I've done and I've written. Um, and yeah, and then you can follow me on Twitter at C-A Hidalgo. Uh, that's H-I-D as in David, A-L-G-O. Excellent. And I'll link to all these things in the podcast notes when I uh, post the uh, interview live. And okay, let's see. One last thing that you want to leave the Unhustle community with. What would, um, what would you say to somebody who is struggling with uh, taking that first step, that first little small change in their life? I would ask the question, what's holding you back? And then just try to stress to them, you are more than your work. You are more than your title. You are more than the profession. As Kelly Flanagan says in his books, love, book Lovable, which was a huge influence on me, we are all worthy because we have a spark of the divine. So embrace that, live that, and then find your one note and live that out in your job and your profession and it'll change your perspective. Thank you so much, Carlos. I really appreciate your time today and good luck with the book and all your conferences and uh, business and professional and personal life. And I know we're very, very aligned in our thinking and I know we will uh, probably uh, do some work together in the future. That would be great. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you having me on and being able to talk about this. As you could tell, we could probably go for another few hours, but uh, <laughs> time's getting the best of us. Yes. And on hustle, you know, less is more. So we need to get the point across and, and move on. So thank Absolutely. you so much. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Unhustle podcast, a place where we have real unedited conversations with inspiring people. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Connect with us at unhustle.com and sign up for our email newsletter so we can send you more tips to live on hustle. If you know someone who needs to be on this podcast as a guest, let us know. 
share this podcast with a friend and leave a review to help more people find it. We're counting on you to tell people about the Unhustle Movement, a new way of living. We look forward to hearing your story and how we helped you change your life.